Part two of With the American Ambulance Field Service in France Personal Letters of a Driver at the Front by Leslie Buswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Monday, the twenty eighth. Yesterday we heard from Doc, who wired to say that he would arrive at ten o'clock Sunday night. I have just seen him, and he looked splendidly. I soon retired to my room to read the mail which he brought letters from you and H being the only American ones. Last night I was on duty all night at X, and it was a great strain riding backward and forward in pitch darkness up and down the very steep and narrow road. I had to go to Auberge Saint-Pierre at about two o'clock this morning. This road is in full view of the Germans and much bombarded, and shrapnel burst close by, which reminded me that a lovely moonlight night with trees and hills and valleys dimly shaping themselves can be other than romantic. It was a sad trip for me. A boy about nineteen had been hit in the chest, and half his side had gone très pressé they told me and as we lifted him into the car by a little brick house which was a mass of shell holes he raised his sad tired eyes to mine and tried a brave smile i went down the hill as carefully as i could and very slowly but when i arrived at the hospital i found i had been driving a hearse and not an ambulance it made me feel very badly the memory of that faint smile which was to prove the last effort of some dearly loved youth all the poor fellows look at us with the same expression of appreciation and thanks, and when they are unloaded it is a common thing to see a soldier, probably suffering the pain of the damned, make an effort to take the hand of the American helper. I tell you, tears are pretty near sometimes. I send you some photos, uh, taken by a little camera I bought, as my large one is too big all my love to you and to those who make the memory of america so dear to me pont a mousson july second i have just written you a short letter but as doc was not here to take it and mail it from paris i could write nothing of interest in it therefore follows this long detailed one for him to post for me when he comes since my last to you he returned to paris after being here two days he looks very well indeed, and amuses us by pretending he does not see any excitement here. As a matter of fact, whenever he comes, we do seem to have a lull in the fighting. Why, I don't know. But one of these days he will arrive when something exciting is going on. Up to the day before yesterday, one day seemed very much like another. Continual explosions of shells, départ et arrivée, collecting wounded, etc., but last Thursday, Doc left on Wednesday, we had forty-eight hours of truly hard time. I was on day service at X, a little village, as I told you, about one and a half kilos away, of one street about two hundred meters long and one church. I got up there at seven-thirty, and after taking two or three trips with wounded to Dierluar, was returning to lunch at eleven o'clock, when an urgent call took me to Auberge Saint-Pierre, a little post de secours on the top of the hill past Montavie. I also wrote you about Auberge Saint-Pierre in my last letter. To get there you have to go on an uphill road within uncomfortable range of both German and French fire. On this trip, as my little car climbed along up the hill, 
I saw shells bursting on both sides of the road, and I do not hesitate to say that my feelings were strained as I entered the wood. When I arrived at my destination I felt a bit shaken, but the sight of some eight wounded made me realize that the sooner I got them down to safety the better for us all. So back I went down the little winding road to the sound of shells exploding uncomfortably near. That was the day's start. Later the Germans fired fifteen thousand shells into the Bois Le Petre. The noise was terrific. Almost the whole of our first line of trenches was ploughed up, and our cars had to run all night. About six o'clock I went back to dinner, but no sooner had I arrived than a call took three of us back to X, and I had another trip with wounded. I chatted with the médecin chef, a fine-looking man, and he told me he would give me some photos. My car was standing outside his little poste de secours, and he asked me a few questions about fords in general, while the wounded were being put into my car. On the way down, several shells fell all around the road, and I was glad to get back to the bureau. Next morning, Friday, we learned at breakfast that the Germans had sent over a hundred shells into the little village of X, one street only about three hundred meters long, remember, and that there was urgent need for our men there. I went up on foot with Schroeder in the afternoon, I was off duty, and learned that my friend the médecin chef had been blown to pieces by a shell which landed exactly where my car had stood the night before. The poor little village looked very sad, for although a hundred two-tens would not utterly destroy a village, one of them makes a house look stupid after it has been hit. We had been asked to go and see the French 155s firing, and on inquiring whether it would be safe to go, a smile and an answer to the effect that shells were dropping eight at a time all around the battery sent the three of us back to Pont-à-Mousson. Saturday. The bombardment going on now is terrific. I have been standing about a hundred yards from my little house and looked across the valley at Montauville, Bois-le-Petre, and watched the shells exploding by the dozens. Monday, July 5th. I was called away suddenly, an emergency, and this is the first moment I have had to myself since. I doubt if I shall ever forget the last thirty-six hours they have been so full of work, apprehension, and horror. Tuesday, 5 p.m. I must write down the events of the last three days, for I suppose they have been the most tremendous ones I have experienced. I tried to write yesterday, but only got as far as those three lines, and any moment I may be called for an attack which we expect hourly. Let me see, I must go back to Sunday, the 4th of July. We had arranged a grand fete, and the governor, the colonel, and the major were our guests with three other captains from various regiments. An elaborate meal was prepared, and all was decorated, a piano, a stage, and many flowers, and so forth. The feast was to start at seven o'clock, and nearly every soldier in all of the regiments round here knew it was the American fete day. Suddenly, at about two o'clock, commenced a tremendous artillery duel. The whole earth seemed to tremble, and the noise of rifle fire almost drowned the explosions of shells. The Germans had attacked. For some days most of the French batteries had been leaving here for up north, 
where a large army is concentrating, and the Germans, who know everything, attacked us at the most unfortunate moment, and by so doing won back in that short attack much of the land they had lost since December, the winning of which has caused France the loss of over forty thousand men. We all rushed to our cars to be ready for the call, and about six o'clock every car was ordered to X, poor little village, already badly enough damaged by the bombardment of a few hours before. We worked late, and I got to bed at 3.30, having carried some fifty wounded a distance of about ten kilometers. Ten trips, two hundred kilometers. In all, we carried away over three hundred and fifty crippled wrecks, who three hours before were the pride of their nation and families. Monday, of course, was a hard day's work, for I was on X service all night, i.e. two cars stay always at X all night for service. I took four long trips in the afternoon, and about five o'clock managed to get an hour's sleep, and it was lucky I did. X was quiet when I got up there about seven o'clock, and till nine o'clock I chatted to soldiers and then turned into the telephone office to sleep on my stretcher, fully dressed, until I should be called. At one o'clock I woke up to the sound of what might have been an earthquake. The Germans had attacked again and were bombarding X. We went down into a little dugout where we stood listening with strained faces for thirty-five minutes to the shouting of soldiers, the cracking of rifles, and the terrific reports of French départ and German arrivée. Literally the whole place trembled, and when a shell, probably a 210, arrived in the village, it always seemed to us, poor rats, that it had exploded in the room above us. No sooner had the attack stopped than a phone message came through, Can an ambulance come immediately to Aubert St. Pierre? And, of course, I climbed out of the cellar, wound up my car, and drove up the hill. The old car, which was in the Battle of the Marne, seemed to know it was on a pretty dangerous trip, and it went like a bird. Any unpleasant shocks of bursting shells, etc., I may have received on my way up, were quickly compensated for by the greeting of the Major. I wish to thank you and to congratulate you on the quickness and efficiency with which you and your comrades execute their orders. I took four more trips, and at twelve o'clock returned to X, and thought I would get a little rest. I was just talking with the phone operator when we saw a flash and an explosion in the courtyard. After picking ourselves up from the floor where we had thrown ourselves, we hastily returned to the dugout. For three-quarters of an hour the second attack went on, and in this dugout, some three hundred yards from the German trenches, the noise was terrific, and I wondered whether I was to be a corpse, a German prisoner, or still a conducteur ambulance américain. When the attack and bombardment ceased, work began, and a general call was sent to our bureau, and before long, as I descended the hill to Pont-à-Mousson with the first carload of mutilated, I passed our fellows tooting up the hill full speed. We worked until six o'clock, carrying down a hundred and eighty or more wounded, and then the cars returned to headquarters as I could manage the few remaining blessés. About seven o'clock, tired out, I made a last trip to Aubert-Saint-Pierre, and finding no wounded there, descended to the next poste de secours 
Clos Bois, and asked if they had any wounded. No, none. But surely there was a coucher on the stretcher there. Come and see. He is, we fear, not suitable for your ambulance. I went up and lifted the covering from his head, and all I saw was a headless trunk. Our dearly beloved lieutenant, said one of the soldiers, and his voice was not a steady one, nor were my thoughts peaceful as I went home to Café Olay and some sleep. At four o'clock on Tuesday I woke up with orders to evacuate the Pont-au-Mousson Hospital to Belleville. I turned in about two o'clock next afternoon to sleep again, pretty tired. Wednesday came the counter-attack. I must now tell you what we have authentically learned. On Sunday, July 4th, the Germans made such a successful attack at Car en Reserve et la Croix des Combes, positions of the Bois la Petra, with petrol and gas, hand grenades, mines, torpedoes, 320s, 210s, and 155s, 105s, and 77s, that the French lost much that they had gained in the last six months that they had been taken unawares, and that we must have everything ready to leave Pont-à-Mousson at a moment's notice. Next came the news that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday attacks had been so successful for the French that they had regained all they had lost on Sunday. Wednesday was a very exciting day for me, and I had my nearest escape. We were evacuating Pont-à-Mousson Hospital for Belleville. We had not finished this on Tuesday, and I had three couchés and three assises in my car. A captain was seated next to me, wounded in the knee. As I neared Dieulois, I heard sounds of shells exploding, and as I reached the outskirts of the town, I saw a 210 land in the railway station some hundred yards to the right of the main road. I asked the captain if he thought it better to wait till the bombardment was over, and he replied, I must leave this to your judgment, as we are in your car. So I decided that, as the shells generally fall at regular intervals of three, five, or seven minutes, the Germans are so methodical that when you know the time they are firing, you can know to the second when the next shell will arrive, I would go on. This time, however, more than one battery was shelling Dieulois, and as I was passing a house on the road, it was hit by a shell. All was black dust and smoke, and I had perforce to pull up a minute. Two people in the house were killed, and although my car was covered with brick dust and debris, no one was even bruised. I don't want to come any nearer, however. I carried over forty wounded yesterday, a distance of a hundred and sixty kilos, and at nine o'clock turned in to sleep, to be waked up at two o'clock to go to Aubert-Saint-Pierre. Schroeder and I both went, as they had some fourteen wounded, and it was necessary to have two cars. It was a glorious morning, and when I got to the top of the hill all was quiet, and God's peace seemed to be everywhere. The major was there to receive us, and so interested and appreciative is he that any one of us would do anything for him. Just as I was starting down with a full load, I found I had picked up a nail and a puncture was the order of the day. Two fellows ran forward, and explaining that they were chauffeurs in peacetime, refused to let me work on it, and the major made me sit on a fallen tree by the roadside and smoke a cigarette and talk to him. We are, of course, mere soldiers, but to be treated so kindly and so thoughtfully makes us feel that we must go on forever. 
the major said you have no idea what comfort and reassurance your cars and your work give to these french soldiers i made one more trip to clobois where they gave me some coffee and i paid my respects to the bodies of three officers just killed in the trenches i had a german wounded cochet given me and i probed out the fact that there were some six or eight french waiting to be taken oh but he is seriously wounded take him first when i arrived at the hospital i watched the german prepared for operation he had seven bullet wounds in the shoulder five still remaining three in the leg and both arms broken i picked up his overcoat and i noticed that the top button was pierced by a bullet so i cut it off and kept it as a remembrance a gruesome one but i will always remember that in france the german went before the less wounded frenchman thursday four p m an attack is now going on and i suppose about seven o'clock there will be a general call to x sunday my prophecy about an attack was correct now there is a lull again and i have some moments to myself to write about the last three days ever since sunday july fourth there has been an attack and counter-attack and life has been real hell for those poor fellows in the first line of trenches every imaginable kind of instrument of destruction has been hurled on them mines the narrow part fits into the gun which is a sort of mortar radius about four hundred meters torpedoes radius about four hundred meters three twenties two fifties two twenties down to seventy sevens burning petrol chlorine all this not in dozens but in thousands and tons no one can believe what it is like there it is indescribable and the germans are getting the same thing too i suppose the french have lost over twenty five hundred this week in wounded and killed and many prisoners and this over a line of seven kilometers and the germans many more day and night our section has gone backward and forward full of wounded and dying and we are all feeling pretty done up yesterday they bombarded pont a mousson and hit a church which burnt all day and killed some people but there are not many left here now and hardly any soldiers last night as after every attack we eagerly asked how the fight had gone here we had gained a trench there we had gained two trenches here we had not won or lost but always the same remark but the dead and wounded at any rate the germans are held and our many reinforcements have made the position fairly safe on friday i again took down a german wounded this time a german of the kaiser's or crown prince's bodyguard the german crown prince is against us here he was dying picture to yourself a fine truly magnificent man over six feet four wonderful strength with a hole through both lungs he could not speak and when i got to the hospital i asked in german if he wanted anything he just looked at me and then chokingly murmured catholic i asked a soldier to fetch the priest and then two brancardiers stretcher bearers and the doctor and the priest and i knelt down as he was given extreme unction this is a little picture i shall never forget all race hatred was forgotten romanist and anglican we were in that hour just all catholics and a french priest was officiating for a dying german a bosch the race that has made europe a living hell 
I came back about seven o'clock at night to the hospital with more wounded and asked if he still lived. Yes, would I care to see him? I went in, and although he breathed his last within an hour after, his look showed recognition, and that man died, I am sure, with no hatred for France. I could tell you a multitude of stories, stories so horrible I cannot forget, so pathetic that tears are not rarely in my eyes. On Friday night I was on Montevilla duty, and a new regiment arrived, bon camarade, to me at once, how many wounded, etc., they asked. I could not tell them that they were going to a place where between their trench and the German trench were hundreds of mangled forms, once their fellow citizens, arms, legs, heads, scattered disjointedly everywhere, and where all night and all day every fiendish implement of murder falls by the hundred, into their trenches or onto those ghastly forms, some half-rotted, some newly dead, some still warm, some semi-alive, stranded between foe and friend, and hurls them yards into the air to fall again with a splash of dust as a rock falls into a lake. All this is not exaggerated. It is the hideous truth which thousands of men here have to witness day and night. Saturday night they came back, some of those poor fellows I spoke a cheery word to on Friday, no arms, no hands, no feet, one leg, no face, no eye. One glorious fellow I took had his hand off, and although it was a long trying drive to Dieulois, he never uttered a word. I touched his forehead when I arrived and whispered, Bon courage, mon brave. He looked at me a moment and answered, Would God he had taken my life, my friend. Today I went to take three wounded officers to Toul, some thirty kilometers away, and before starting I went into the hospital to see if I could do anything for any of those butchered by civilization. I saw a friend, the man who had offered me a German bayonet. He beckoned me with his eyes, and then, Have they forgotten me? I have been here for five hours, and both my legs are shattered. It was true that every bed was full of wounded, waiting to be dressed, but I went straight up to the médecin chef and told him that a friend was over there with both legs broken, and could he be attended to. Ah, we have been looking after the others first, as he must die, but I will do what I can. I stood there and watched his two legs put into a position that looked human, and then I bade adieu to a new-found friend. I think I am glad he will die. I would prefer to die than to be crippled for life, and if my turn comes, I only hope I may not recover to be helpless. It is no good trying to make you understand what horror really is. You must see a bit of it as we see it here to be able to semi-realize what that place, the Bois la Poitre, is like. It was known by the Germans when held by them as Hexenkessel, Witch's Cauldron, and as Wittenwalde, Widow's Wood. I wish you would cut out and keep for me anything mentioned in the official reports about the Bois le Pletre, Pont à Mousson, Quatre en Reserve, probably the most mutilated, unthinkable place in the world, La Croix des Carmes, etc. Monday. I have just received the mail with lots of nice letters. It was so jolly hearing from you all. 
I am glad to tell you that this section is to be mentioned by order of the Army, and it will probably receive the Croix de Guerre, which our section commander will wear, of course. We may all get some sort of medal some time as well, perhaps. If my letter seems too horrible, just don't send it on to the friends who might otherwise care to hear. My only object in writing so fully is that I do want you all to realize the futility, the utter damnable wickedness and butchery of this war. P.S. The Governor of the Department of Lorraine sent from Nancy the following tribute. On this day, when you celebrate your national independence at the same hour that France in violent combat defends her independence against an enemy whose madness for domination threatens the liberty of all nations and whose barbarous methods menace civilization, I address to you the expression of the profound friendship of the French for your great and generous nation, and take this occasion to offer new assurance of the intense gratitude of the population of Lorraine for the admirable devotion of all the members of the American Ambulance of Pont-à-Mousson. Pont-à-Mousson, July 16th. It so happened that a wounded officer was going to Paris, and he posted the letters of July 2nd to you for me, and therefore you got them two weeks earlier. Now Doc has suddenly returned on his way to Peigny, and I am writing about the last few days. They have been full of misery, and yet full of pleasure. The 14th of July, the day of the fall of the Bastille, was to be a fete day for France as usual, but I little thought I should spend such a wonderful day myself. Schroeder and I were invited to pay a visit to the batteries above one of our postes de secour, and as we were both off duty, about three o'clock we went up to B in one of our service cars, and thence walked to see our friends. If any one doubts what grateful friends and how appreciative the soldiers are for our little help here, they should have seen the welcome we were given. We were shown the Soixantia Kansas, the 220s, the 155s, and you must realize by that how completely we foreigners are trusted, for could the Germans but know where these guns are, few of our friends would live to see France win the war. Next we were shown all over the Abri, little dugouts about 10 to 14 feet underground, and covered with three or four layers of good-sized trunks, like this. Diagram. These they retire to when the Boches bombard the wood. All along, the paths leading from one big gun to another were shells, two or three hundred great things about three feet eight inches high. We then went and had some beer with our friends, all non-commissioned officers, and about four o'clock a corporal came to say that the 155s were going to fire four rounds, and would we care to go and watch, as the officer invited us. Of course we followed our guide to the gun, and they all posed while I took a photo. Then the officer asked me if I would care to photo the gun being fired, and I said yes. I stood some ten meters away and had just pressed the button of the camera when I jumped half out of my skin at the noise of the explosion. I shall anxiously look for the negatives, and I hope they will be good. It was now five o'clock, and we had to return to Pont-à-Mousson. Would we stay to dinner, the 14th July? What? Spend France's fete day with France's artillery in a wood some two kilos from the Germans, surrounded by the guns that were fighting for her liberty? It sounded too good. Of course we accepted. 
so five of us three french artillerymen and schroeder and i walked down to get to b on the road our ambulances travel all day long we were all in one line across the road when without warning bang thirty meters away earth was thrown yards into the air the noise was terrific and then the black dense smoke began almost lazily to fade away we all five stood still semi-crouching although inwardly knowing that all precautions were then futile that if we were to be killed by the eclat of that explosion we would not escape it was too late after five or ten seconds we breathed again and i looked at my companions three of them had been firing heavy shells for eleven months but their sunburnt faces had assumed the most haggard pale expression i have ever seen i had no looking-glass but i expect if schroeder writes his experience to his people he will include my face as being like the rest had we been twenty yards further on or thirty yards farther back fini the eclat of a german shell always go like this diagram but the french like this diagram the strain made me give a little laugh which froze pretty quickly on my lips for i was silenced with a look attends listen for the next depart ten anxious ears listened but it was just a chance german shell and no more arrived when we returned to go to dinner about an hour and a half later i asked them to help me to find the fuse and there it was still hot i shall keep it in memory of july fourteenth nineteen fifteen we sat down in that little wooden shelter about sixteen of us and i cannot tell you what a happy party we were laughter and song fetting the two honored guests the americans the captain heard we were dining with his non-commissioned officers and sent up three bottles of white wine to drink the health of the allies we had brought some moselle as a present to our hosts and when the others were finished our bottles were a great surprise they were quickly emptied a candle was stuck in each and we started singing and telling stories then as an act of courtesy i was asked to sing our national anthem i got up a bottle of wine was fetched to fill our glasses and did so as loud and as heartily as i knew how it must have been a strange sight for the casually passing french soldiers to see their sixteen compatriots standing silently listening to a man sing a song that they scarcely knew though one which means so much to so many thousands of our countrymen i had but finished when bang 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 four seventy-fives were fired over our heads going to kill those who should sing another national anthem the marseillaise followed and i have never heard it sung in surroundings more fitting or more impressive then an artillery duel started and backward and forward above us went and whistled the shells five of our friends suddenly left us and in three minutes we heard the big two twenty firing its death gift into the german trenches all the time the songs continued and those woods must have echoed and re-echoed with the strains of the marseillaise etc schroeder and i however began to get anxious for the noise of the artillery increased and increased and we knew that in about two hours all the ambulances would be needed at x so we bade our friends good-bye and arrived home to find that only half of our cars would be required 
we then turned into bed with the conviction that we had really experienced the true feeling of france on the anniversary of the great step toward which she believed would be for the freedom of the people doc had arrived unexpectedly from paris and your letters were very welcome also one from mother and mrs a it was the very night fourteenth of july that you were giving your lecture i am sure it was a success end of part two